0: Please remain standing as we continue worship with a reading from John 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning glad you're here today. I'm Chris, lead teaching pastor here at Riverstone Middle School. You are released. Uh, I am uh, excited to be with you today. And if you're visiting, it's a great day to visit because we're starting a brand new conversation that we're just calling uh, churchianity. Good. I was hoping a little giggle would come for that one. Chir- churchianity. Churchianity. What's that? Well, I heard Tim Keller say this once, and it stuck with me. He identified this thing called churchianity as opposed to Christianity. And actually, it's pretty intuitive from the title itself. Churchianity is all the religious trappings and cultural products of what we know as church. Okay, so you got that sentence? Religious trappings, cultural products that come from what we know of as church church okay uh so group of people weekly service right singing sermons you go to church what does church do what's it mean to go to church where well, you go to this service and they do this thing and they have is any of this stuff really laid out for us biblically in, in terms of well, you do the worship songs and you do announcements and try to say a few jokes no 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 none of that's really laid out biblically for us but here we are and we have this norms and we all happen to drive like Gray minivans also, which is weird. And so that kind of gets lumped into it. And then a lot, of, a lot of Christians, and then you go to church, and a lot of them are, are like homeschoolers. So that kind of gets lumped into it. Okay, are we getting the picture of what churchianity is? It's not necessarily what the Bible says. It means to be a Christian. It's the cultural, cultural product. My wife was primarily laughing at me on that one. Cultural products of the thing. Okay, we tracking? Maybe in Rosemary, and then that one girl's tracking. All right. So what can happen, what can happen is this, that thing that I just said, churchianity, which we're going to explore more, that becomes what it means to be a Christian. You're just lumped in with this group of people that do this, some stuff, some of it's weird, some of it I sort of get, but you're just lumped in and that's what it means. And Jesus, the whole time, completely removed from the scene. Maybe even substituted with something else. But the point is, Jesus, the presence, the power, the teachings, the leadership of Jesus is just not there. His power, his spirit, his personal connection to him is nowhere on the radar. Christianity is kind of what we talked about last week. It's story theology. In superstition, you guys know story theology. It's well, this happened to me, and and therefore, and this happened, and then therefore, it must mean that God's like this, right? And so here it is, that kind of stuff mixed with some super. You ever hang out Christians? Like they got some superstition stuff up in there, right? Mixed with our experience, mixed with our upbringing, mixed with our socioeconomic cultural sentiments, mixed with our political persuasions mixed with whatever social justice thing that's happening in the air, mixed with whatever uh, soapbox the pastor happens to be on, right? Mixed with diet trends, mixed with life seasons and pop. Okay, all piled together. (laughs) And we have this thing, churchianity, right? So, So to be a Christian means that you drive a gray minivan, you wear Plaid, whatever this kind of shirt is, and then you subscribe to this kind of politics, whatever this group of people subscribes to politics. That's what that becomes the implied substance of what it means to be a Christian. Alright? Which means that it then becomes possible to lump yourself in with this circle without ever really acknowledging Jesus Himself. Without ever really following Jesus in any real way, or having any personal connection to him as an individual. He's gone. His power, his presence, his healing power, his teachings, right? Gone. And the question, what does the Bible actually say, gets lost in the wash. (laughs) Christianity is really no different than any other religion and is carried and sustained by. Social cohesion, okay? Sometimes, social manipulation. Either one really do, but the point is, churchianity is a completely lateral interaction. It's me enforcing and imposing my influence on you. Lateral. Never is God himself imposing his influence on you. Just the pastor. And that's what he's paid for after all, isn't he, right? right. No real influence of God in your life. It's influence of man to man. We talking about churchianity? Are you getting it? Right? It's God being defined by church folk. You know who church folk is? Instead of the Bible. All right? Okay, so therefore, churchianity... (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm just so jacked about the series calm down, dude. All right. Churchianity can be likened. It's so funny. I was talking to our team about this and I was like, we're going to do this series called churchianity. He's like, how is that different from what you always say? It's like, it's not, it's not. It's my little soapbox. All right. So get in the Bible because I'm going to harp on this for you. Okay. So, um, churchianity therefore can be likened to centuries and generations of the game of telephone. You guys remember the game of telephone? You get in a circle, like, you know, 15 people and like, you know. I love hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes around, right? And at the end, you get, my mom's a dinosaur, right? And you're like, dude, I said I love hot dogs. And then Rick's in the corner, like, you know, because Rick, he's like, right? Actually, I, 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 better than telephone. Have you guys ever played a picture phone? I think it's called. It's like you have a, like a pad of papers. You've got to play this. You play this. You have a pad of papers and you're in a circle and you write a sentence like my mom's a dinosaur, okay? And then you pass it to the next person and then they read it. And then on the next page, they draw a picture of that sentence. Have you played this? It's the best game in the world. I love it because I'm a horrible artist. And so there's like no chances at all for them to get it's a perfect example of how Christian culture and thinking and norms and church services and even theology gets so far out and left field, it has no biblical resemblance at all. So much so that Jesus has been completely removed from the entire scene. Let's just tease it out some more since we're on a roll. Christianity says you got to earn your way into God's good graces by being a good little boy. Then maybe you can go to heaven when you die. Can I tell you something? That's telephone stuff. That's telephone stuff. Because Christianity says Christ brought heaven to earth today. And you can taste that. You can step into God's good graces on his merit, not your own. church says things like, you have to sing these type songs, read these type books, and subscribe to our brand of theology on secondary issues, and then you'll be in the in crowd. Christianity says, those who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. church says, it's a game of show and tell. Do all your Christian acts of praying and reading and going to church and getting so people will finally notice you and affirm your, evalu- affirm your value and opinion. Right? Christianity says, if I'm still trying to please men, I ain't a servant of Christ. Christianity says, you never need to worry about a love relationship with God himself. You really don't. And it's true in Christianity. You don't need to walk with him. You don't need to talk with him personally. Your pastor will do that for you. It's what he's paid for, right? Christianity recreates the need for a mediator. Christianity says the veil was torn, right? And his death means that all of us can now approach God ourselves without a mediator. He is the mediator, the one Christ. Christianity implies this kind of, you don't need to try to get to know God. What's that even mean? He's God, he's unknowable. Therefore, no need to be sensitive to his priorities or what he cares about, or really ever ask him anything, because he's already made up his mind, so what's the point? Christianity says your heart, I'm sorry, oops, churchianity says your heart, your heart need not be affected. That's telephone stuff. Churchianity says your heart doesn't need to be affected by this compartmentalize that junk. Put Jesus in the Bible and the need to love people in a closet. And you can access that closet whenever you want, but compartmentalize it. Let's be reasonable. Christianity says, I will let my heart be ripped in two, just like the veil was ripped in two if I could know him and love him. Christianity says, I must have God. And I will do anything to pursue him. I will do anything to be with him. I will tear down any mountain I need to so that I can be close to him. That's what Christianity says. Take my possessions. Take my reputation. I just want Him. churchianity uses God to leverage for position and social standing churchianity says just do the expected cookie cutter cultural Christian thing right so here comes the chorus oh oh everyone's oh we're we're all raising oh okay and now we're clapping all right now we're clapping and there's a sermon and amen 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 almost missed that one right right hallelujah right Christianity says, read the script. Christianity throws you into a wild and unpredictable pursuit of the living Christ. And as you grab hold of him, you are propelled into risk and self-sacrifice and boldness and holiness. Christianity says, just check off the list, man. Just check off the list, right? Christianity therefore breeds fear. In codependency and social bondage, Christianity breeds fearlessness, power, overbondage, and spiritual oppression. Churchianity is about control. Christianity is about surrender. Put it all in a, a little uh, package. Churchianity is about you. And Christianity is about Jesus. Right? Churchianity is about what you have to do. Christianity is about what Jesus has done and is doing right now. Ever-powerful, ever-present, seeking and saving the lost, empowering the outcasts, inviting any and all into his grand sweeping plan to renew all things, right? Churchianity is about you, Christianity is about Jesus. Okay, so, all right, we're done with that. Now, we got to make some really clear distinctions right now, okay? Before we launch into this larger conversation, we got to make some really clear distinctions because the temptation in a series like this would be to come out thinking that church is bad and unbiblical and Christianity good. And that's not what I would say at all or want you to walk away with, okay? So we got to make some real grown-up distinctions about how we think about church and your role inside of church, what it means to be a part of the church. However, I do want to say, if your experience of church doesn't lead you to this person, Jesus, and his passion and his power, and his transformation and influence over your life, then you and your church have missed the point. And it doesn't take long of reading Scripture to realize this is really easy to do, like really easy to do in religious circles, all right? Somehow God himself tends to get lost in his own house and Christ is slowly and subtly removed from the entire picture. And I just have this angst, like angst for myself and for you, and it's like a fire in my bones, right? That we not get to the end of our lives just to realize we've missed the whole point, all right? Climb our whole religious life up a ladder to get to the top and realize this has been on the wrong wall, (laughs) right? I've been entrenched in church, right? Serving, leading Going, doing the things, but never had the guts to deal with Jesus himself, never knew him, never really loved him, never heard his voice, never felt his power and love. And my angst for us, for you, is that you don't get to the end and say, hey, Jesus, I did a bunch of cool stuff for you. And he says, I never knew you. You knew church stuff, you never knew me. This is a real threat, y'all. Real danger of Bible Belt South Christianity. Hmm? So I'm going to spend the next couple weeks just delineating between these things. But we've got to do some work first. We've got to define some terms. So let me start in defining these terms just by dropping a bomb on you. Can I do that? Can I just drop a bomb? on It doesn't matter because I have the mic. I'm going to drop a bomb on you. All right. Um, from the dude at church with the mic, I don't know if I've ever believed in church. Is this a safe place? I don't know. I'm not sure if this is a safe place. Okay. I don't know if I've ever believed in church. So mess. Especially as a young, self-righteous, radically converted Christian. Okay? Like church is made up of people, they're messed up. Can God use it? Maybe, but probably not, because people are broken. And therefore, church is broken. Like, despite the fact that I met God in church, and He totally changed my life in church, and He used church to mature me and grow me, and He put people around me that loved me in church, despite all those things that I like to you know, I just really struggle with the church. All right? Do I need the church? Specifically, do I need the thing that has become church in Bible Belt South? Do I need that? Hmm. Like, me and God are good. Plus, church just wasn't cool. <laughs> you know? Is this, you ever been to church? <laughs> uh, you, you ever, you ever listen to Christian music? Have you ever hung out with Christians? Okay. But this produced a problem for me. What is the church then? And in my young self-righteous arrogance, church to me was this kind of sold out, compromised organization with amateurish, act, amateurish actors on a stage, right? It's like a social club, <laughs> And then, you know, it's a bunch of, you know, superstitious, like small minded people. They're like, it's like a bored superstition social club. <laughs> you were a jerk. Yes, I was a jerk. Yes. Um, and when I met Jesus, and some of you are jerks right now because you're thinking, this all this right. Okay. When I met Jesus, y'all, it radically changed my life. Like, Holy Spirit filled me massive. So I knew I loved Jesus, but the church. <laughs> so I developed these really clear distinctions between God and the church. Okay, and let me just kind of tease this idea out for you. This was compounded by watching other people around me. You're going to relate with this. I had tons of friends who were maybe down, maybe you're related to this, I'm not sure. Some of this you're going to relate to. I had tons of friends who were down with Jesus, but not down with organized religion, all right? Now, the interesting thing about those friends, I've been a Christian a long time. Interesting thing about those friends, most of those friends who are like, I'm down with Jesus, but I'm not a church about, okay, most of those people are no longer Christians. Just food for thought, okay? Uh, But did Jesus do anything to them? Like, did Jesus change his, like, they, they rejected the church and then in, actually ended up rejecting Jesus, right? Had Jesus, cha- like, why did they walk away from Jesus? Their problem was with the church, not with Jesus. But I'm telling you, in 10 years, 75, 80% of them gone. They don't walk with Jesus anymore. And they're self-righteous, like, I, I love Jesus, but the church is a bunch of hypocrites. That didn't work out for them some reason. I'm just, I'm just telling you, an observation here, Okay. Like, they don't follow Jesus anymore. If you grew up in a group of friends that love Jesus, you can probably think, oh, you know what, yeah. Like, how many of them are still following Jesus? Like, okay, so what happened? Well, okay, let's chat. When you confuse your experience of whatever the cultural package is of church, all right, when you confuse that with God himself, what happens is you get swaths of people who get burned by that thing. They didn't drive a gray minivan, You know, and they didn't homeschool their kids. So the whole time they're in this thing, they just felt like an outsider and they got burned from some immature, insecure Christians or some horrible moral leadership failure. Huh? Okay. We chatting. Okay. And then they said, well, God is a sham. Right. You you go to church, you hang out with these people. They're all hypocrites. right. And then the leader up there turns out he was sleeping with his secretary. Right. So God must be a sham. All right. I mean, listen, dude, this week, talking to a friend, he's just rolling off names. Yeah, he doesn't follow Jesus no more. Yeah, and he, and we were, just, we're just like, man, I don't know, dude. He's just like, dude, I'm just glad you still follow Jesus. I'm like, me too. Me too, because it wouldn't count on one hand how many of the 50 of us used to hang out in college don't follow Jesus anymore, all right? So what happened, man? On the one hand, it's a really important distinction that you make as a mature person. This distinction between who God is and who the church is. This is an important distinction. But if the church fails you, can I just tell you, God has not failed you, all right? Oh No, that leader failed you. And that group of people failed you. And when he cheated on his wife, he walked away from Jesus. That bro's not representing Jesus to you. Are we tracking? Right? And, but then we come in, bro, it's too bad for you. He represented Jesus. And then when he crashes his life and just explodes it up, right? And we think, well, God, Jesus must be a sham. No, he was a sham, bro. Right? He was a shame. We got to be able to distinguish these things, right? So I was seeing, and you're probably still seeing, plenty of people rejecting the church and Christianity and all that stuff, and thinking they've rejected God. And I just wanted to say from the top of my lungs, you didn't reject God, you rejected the church. You rejected like these people trying to follow Jesus and failing at it. And you were the collateral of that. Guess what? Church is made up of people. And dude, people messed up. I mean, I'm getting ahead of my notes here. The situation is maybe they didn't even encounter Jesus. Is it possible that they just encountered Christianity and didn't and never dealt with Jesus himself and saw a bunch of Christians trying real hard but just failing, right? So this is a helpful distinction. As a mature Christian, you gotta figure this out of what your loyalty is really to first and then what that does to your loyalty to the church and your perspective of the church, right? But here's what it produced in me as a young, self-righteous, arrogant kid. It produced in me Eyes up. Condemnation towards Christians. That's what it produced in me. This distinction that I had made that I felt very self righteous about, and that is a true distinction. However, what it produced in me was bitter, cynical judgment towards every group of people meeting on a Sunday morning, completely justified in my mind theologically. So, I was using theological underpinnings to hold up and justify, guess what? Judgment. Condemnation, a superiority in which I could look down my nose at every other vain, superficial Christian and say, ah, yeah, da, 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 da. that's what it produced in me. It produced in me this perspective of church that the house is falling apart and I'm just going to sit by the sidelines and Social commentary from my armchair. Huh? We chatting? We chatting, boys? Huh? That's what it produced in me. Conveniently relieved me of any responsibility to do anything about it. My role became social commentary on the hypocrisy in the church. Let me tell you about it. Did you notice this? Preachers with sneakers. You seen that one? No one seen that one? If you don't Google it. It's horrible. All right? So, sorry, that was I shouldn't have said that. All right. So, uh, as we begin to delineate between unity and Christianity, we got to get some stuff really, un- really clear right now, lest we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And in this scenario, the baby's the church. Okay. So, the distinction is important from one perspective. However, from another perspective, uh, we should consider, uh, it comes from this, (laughs) maybe we should look at this, (laughs) and try to figure out what the church is and its connection to God and Jesus and what that relationship is, because the distinction between Jesus and the church are fascinating and really confusing, if you've read the book, all right? What we're saying is, you can reject the church and never meet Jesus. I believe that, right? But it's not quite that simple in the Bible, all right? So, what's the biblical distinction between Jesus and the church? What's the relationship? What does the Bible actually say? Well, the writers in the New Testament use language like this they talk about becoming a Christian as if Jesus has moved into your house, little house. All right, so your heart or your soul, whatever you want to say, that part of you that makes you you, not simply your body, but your life. Most Christians are going to say your heart. Jesus has moved into your heart, right? That's the kind of language we use, right? But the New Testament talks about Christ being inside you as a follower of Jesus. Colossians 1.27, the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory, which is super strange. This is very strange language. There really isn't a cultural example where you can think of this kind of language. Like maybe, like maybe you could say, well, I see your dad in you. Like physical attributes. Maybe someone might say, I see your dad in you, and they're talking about characteristics, like you have your dad's patience. But if you think of any other example, there's not really a cultural uh, parallel of this idea of someone moving inside you, right? Like when I get married, I didn't say, Allison moved into my heart, right? Like marriage is the most intimate relationship we have, but I would never say she lives in my heart. Like the closest you get is that kind of nonsense, you complete me stuff, right? But that's, but that's still not, that's still not as intimate as the New Testament is trying to paint, right? To help understand, people understand this, this idea, they started to use temple language. They said, your body's like a temple. Do you know that, uh, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? That's first Corinthians three sixteen, 16. Um, and this begins to tweak the picture of what they're trying to get at because we all know temples are made to house uh, something sacred, aren't they? Temples are places of worship. It's, it's implying something or someone will be worshipped by you. This is true of your life. Someone or something will inhabit the interior of your life. And you will end up worshipping that thing or that person, whoever it is. But what they're trying to communicate is the intertwinedness, not a real word, um, of God indwelling his people, right? Just like God's spirit dwelt in the tabernacle, God longs to dwell inside you. But the New Testament doesn't stop there. It gets even more weird. This relationship between Jesus' followers and himself. It gets even more. He begins, Jesus says things like, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Where do you stop and where does he begin? Well, I don't know, he pull the thing off. Maybe there's the line. But then it gets even more weird in John 17. And Jesus is basically laying out this insane picture. This is what Jesus says, this is what we read earlier, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and they in us. Okay, now I'm getting confused. Down to 23. Oh, yeah. Also, I'm in them. And also, you're in me, okay? So what are we getting here? Let's do it, okay? What we're getting here is the Father. Let's go to the next one, JT. We got the Father. Here's a visual diagram. It's probably not gonna be very helpful. Okay, this is what Jesus just painted out for us. The Father, and then he said, I'm in you, okay? We understand that. Jesus and God, they're supposed to be one. That's no theological quants. But then he says, oh yeah, you're in me. There's you, there's us. This is what the Bible's painting at. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, oh yeah, by the way, Jesus, I'm in you, there's Jesus again inside you. And then he says, oh yeah, and also the Father is in me. There's a Father inside. So we got Father, Jesus, you, Jesus, Father again. All right, that's some crazy intermingledness that we Testament's trying to get across to you. What's the distinctions between you and God? We're, right? You're seeing this kind of unity that is unparalleled in our time and space. We, and there's no other cultural parallel that we can say, oh yeah, that's just like this. No, it's like nothing his father and the Jesus you Jesus right like this is some crazy intimacy this is a crazy ideal that God is saying this is what it means to be the church you're so surrounded and saturated with Jesus and his father that you can say I'm inside of him and he's inside of me this is I mean, I was gonna ridiculous but I mean I don't know what the word is mind-boggling There's no other picture we can get to that is even close to the kind of intimacy God longs to have with you as a Christian. But it gets weirder. The Bible gets weirder. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12 says this. Oh yeah, by the way, you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. Okay, well, what's that mean? The church began to understand themselves I know, guys, I get up here and I ramble, and I get real excited. I'm telling you, the words that I'm saying, I've prayed about and thought about. And put, I've just put it through the filter of the Bible. Listen to this sentence. The early followers of Jesus began to understand themselves as his active agent in the world. They understood themselves as extensions of Jesus what so this means the body if read, go read it man listen do me a favor let me give you some homework go read 1 corinthians 12 this week he's gonna tease out this whole body of jesus is the head and here we're all the and we're the hands it means what does it mean about the church it means that the church is the church when jesus is in charge and the moment jesus stops being in charge the church stops being the church okay have you ever seen the adams family do you remember thing Anything? This is a perfect example of, of a lot of Christians and a lot of the church. We have this idea that we can cut ourselves off from the head and then just be our own little thing. Let me say something. You cut a hand off and it's dead. It doesn't walk around, right? <laughs> just like, let's do an experiment right here. Let's do an experiment right here. Here we go. Everyone raise your right hand. Go ahead, do it, do it. Don't be weird. It's fine. Okay, put it down, put it down. How'd you do that? How did you do that? Some of you are like, I didn't. <laughs> How'd you do that? Well, your brain said, raise your right hand. Did your right hand fight with you? Did it say, I know better than you, dummy? No. No, it just, just went up. This is the picture that the New Testament is giving us of what it means to be a Christian. You want to be a Christian? You want to follow this guy, Jesus? it means when he says jump, you say how high? It means when he says, kill that sin, it's killing you. You say, I'll do it. It's going to kill me. He says, yeah, it's going to kill you. It's called death itself. Do you want to live? Yes, sir, I want to live. Then kill it. Cut it off. (laughs) It's another picture. Cut off your hand. It's better to cut off your hand than go into heaven, go into life, than have it and go into death. To be a Christian means to bow to the agendas and the priorities of Jesus at every step of the way. And when you stop doing that, you cease to be the expression of his body. And is it possible that we have generations and generations and generations of people who have come up to the precipice of church and Christianity and God and experienced a bunch of Christians in rampant rebellion against Jesus and they've all the time saying, we're Jesus, we're part of the family. We're the body. Is it possible that we have generations and generations of people, right? Who've come up to this thing and the church and Christians are so entrenched in hypocrisy and sin and disbelief. But the problem was they are unwilling to say, oh, by the way, I no longer follow Jesus. Nope. No, we still follow Jesus. And you see what happens now? We have whole swaths of people who think they've come to, to God and they've come to people who represent God and yet are not representing him actually at all. It's a true possibility, isn't it? isn't it? But this is how the early followers of Jesus understood their relationship to Jesus. Now, this is a lofty ideal, is it not? I'll tell you what, you start talking like that, you start reading the Bible <laughs> and you start feeling really unqualified pretty quickly, right? All right? because like, you know, I mean, you know, I, I got to this struggle, you know, Chris, I don't know what you want me to do about it, right? Or man, I, I, mean, I mean, I'm in gridlock in this little relationship, right? Right? I mean, all, all this stuff, all these excuses begin to come up, right? But what I'm trying to get, to, what I'm trying to communicate to you, right, is the church thesis being the church, when it pulls up a bunch of other agendas, a bunch of other social products, right, and then... Christ begins to be removed from it. There's no submission to Jesus, no power of Jesus. It's not Christianity, it's churchianity, right? When you chop off the hand, it dies, right? But according to scripture, the church is only the church when it's submitting every agenda to Jesus, right? I've said that several times, okay? Now, this is all true. I think it's mostly true for the most part. (laughs) If it's true, then you can't get out from underneath questioning yourself right now, am I submitting to God? Am I part of the body or am I going rogue? Do I really think I could be thing from the Adams family as a Christian, cut myself off and act like I'm still following Jesus, right? This means a whole, what we're getting is to be the church apparently means a whole lot more than going to a service once a week, right? And you begin to realize that being a part of the church, you are supposed to be his representatives, right? Uh, the biblical authors are intentionally trying to blur the distinctions between Jesus and his followers, they're intentionally trying to blur the distinction between Jesus. Read the book of Acts, and you're going to see that there's this pattern. This just like the pattern of Jesus. Hitting against the political figures, supernatural healing, persecution from Jewish people and political figures. Except now, it's not happening to Jesus. It's happening to who? His followers. Another fascinating thing, when, Paul, when Saul was persecuting Christians and Jesus confronted him, what does he say? Why are you persecuting Christians? Church? Nope. Jesus said, Why are you persecuting me? The New Testament writers are intentionally trying to blur the lines between Jesus and his followers. Because apparently, what it means to be in the church is to be an extension of Jesus himself in the world. Right? All right, great. Okay, good. Everyone good? Everyone okay? All right, great. So, why should you care? Why should I care, mustache? All right, well, this is why. Two reasons. All right. Number one, we're going to wrap it up here, okay? It informs how we look at what we call church and it informs your role in the church, doesn't it? Number one, real quick, and we're going we're gonna to go through this fast and we'll get out of here. Be the Baptist of Cracker Barrel. All right, number one. What does this intimacy intertwinedness between Jesus and the church mean for how you look and think about the church? Well, here it is. Somehow, in all the mess in hidden sin, and depravity, and betrayals, and confusions, and good intentions gone wrong, that happens in what we call church, for all the mistakes, all the silly subcultures, all the bad art the church made, right, all of the bad music, right, the church has made, and now I'm talking, I mean, if you go back, back, you get some really good stuff, okay, I'm talking about you, okay, but God says, I will form for myself a people who will cut through the nonsense, and Take my power and presence to the dark, dead places of the earth. Within that, amongst the imperfections and the failures, I will form a people who will be my temple in whom my power and presence will dwell. Right? Amongst the blue jean skirts and the socially awkward homeschoolers. Amidst Christians artists who thought it would be cool to put on boxing gloves and box the devil. Carmen. Amidst talking vegetables and bad movies and horrible sermons and awkward small groups amidst the rituals and the ceremonies and the candles and the incense amidst even the lasers and the smokes and the smokes and the mega screens are we are we chatting here god is at work in all that mess that's what it means you don't get the privilege of sitting up on your high horse judging what you think shouldn't be the church. God's God's there. He's in it. If his name's on it, he's in it. He's working. He's trying to work through the mess amidst all that stuff, y'all. Are we tracking? Some of us have dismissed. I'm gonna talk to you right now. Some of you are ashamed of the church. You're just ashamed of them. You don't invite people to because you're ashamed of it. I'm trying to tell you, God is at work even in this craziness going on right now. Do we have eyes that can see it? Can we get past our superior cultural tendencies to look down our nose at people who we disagree with and agree that God is at work even in strands of the church that we think we've dismissed as all such ritual ceremony? Can we do it? I don't know. That's what I'm calling you to do, right? The issue, y'all, is the church made up of people. Uh, uh, Well, let me rephrase that. The church is made up of you. (laughs) That's what makes it kind of tricky right? And me, just like you, have amazing potential, like amazing potential for good. We also have amazing potential for evil. This is the problem, is that we're trying to make sense of and work within a framework made up of (laughs) me and you. That's right. But the larger picture is that God is on mission, that he has a stronger mission than even the church, and he's on mission in the church because it is apparently his pri- one of his primary means of extending his power and presence to the world. God, in his wisdom, has chosen the losers and the nobodies to display his power. How can I say that? Well, just read the Bible. He chose the second-borns and the barren ones. He's chosen the babes and the ignorance, the have nots and the powerless. God, in his pride crushing, sin destroying wisdom, elected the one who stutters to be a spokesman Moses, not Aaron. He chose the barren old Sarah, not young, uh, productive Hagar. (laughs) He chose little David. Not King Saul, youngest Joseph, not old Reuben, Jacob, not Esau, Abel, not Cain, dopey Leah, not pretty Rachel, and on and on and on we can go. He chooses, y'all, he chooses the clay creatures of Genesis instead of the heavenly beings to be his image in the world, right? He chooses those who are low to shame the strong, those who are humble to shame the arrogant, right? To display his strength and salvation in the earth. The church. The likes of me and you, broken, fragmented, addicted. He says, I, He says, my power is enough to make even you look like Jesus. Dude, come on, man. That's so why I read Psalm 8. We won't get into it. But God's at work. The second thing is this. What does it say about your role as part of the church? Well, let me read you something that smacked me in the face. So because I love you, I'm going to smack you in the face with it too. And then we're going to get out of here. Jeremiah 15, verse 19. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you return to me, I will restore you. You will stand before me. And if you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesperson. Dude, come on, man. I don't know if it's just because I got the mic, but, but dude, if you want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, you better figure out how to extract the precious from the worthless, Right? Because being his representative starts in this room, in the church. Y'all, Christians need Jesus too, right? And if you don't learn how to find the precious in the worthless, you will not stand a chance in the long run of loving humanity or the church. Mm? None of this naive, everyone's awesome, that's why I love people works in the long haul. It's not why Christians love people. It's not because we're awesome, right? Because we've learned, that, because, because Jesus found this precious in us. And we can go from here doing the same thing. I think some of you are struggling even with disillusionment with the church and Christians, right? And it's why you're taking a nap instead of putting your hand to the pile and getting to work. Because you said, nah, I, don't know, I don't believe in it. I don't know. He's a weirdo, mustache, right? I don't like those songs. They just sing the wrong songs. They just sing these songs then I'd be a part of it, right? Uh, they just read the wrong translation. Of the Bible. Just, right? I think some of us have been burned by churches who raise secondary issues as the flag. And we're just like, man, man listen, dude, I'm just gonna tell you right now, dude, I'm trying as hard as I can to make Jesus the flag we raise. It's why our mission is to be people declaring the language views of Jesus. Helps us be sure that everything we're doing is carrying the yoke and the burden of Jesus, not our own yoke and burden. Like I'm trying as hard as I can to push out all the stuff so that when we come here, we feel like we are participating in Jesus, not just a service and a sermon and some songs. All right, but listen, man, I need your help. I need your help. I need you to come in this place expecting the power and presence of Jesus. And I need you to go from this place expecting to represent the power and presence of Jesus to the world. Because if we're going to represent Riverstone, just burn it to the ground, bro. I don't even care. All right? Like, take our reputation and burn it. Let's make the name of Jesus known. Let's make his glory known. Dude, I'm I'm just telling you. This is what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm trying to take us. This is just, I don't get excited about like, let's do the church thing. I just don't. I don't. What I get excited about is the power of Jesus transforming our lives. Yeah. Your life, man. And that's what we're getting after, man. My prayer is that we begin to see our participation in this church as participating with Jesus and what he's doing in the earth, which means that all other agendas and motivations have to bow to the knee of Jesus. It yeah. means that we're not going to get on cultural bandwagons. It means we're not gonna raise the flag our culture is raising that whatever time through COVID and all that kind of trash. We're gonna raise the flag as Jesus. That's, going to be our commi- that's my commitment to you. You're not gonna come here and get some secondary issue pushed in your face like it's the main thing to be a Christian. Okay, main and plain. That's how we talk about it. the main and the plain, right? And that's a vineyard value. So in some ways, I just wanted to start this conversation defining some terms, right? When I say churchianity, I'm talking about the cultural expression, however, that God can And does work within got it one one person sort of has it great okay (laughs) um let me give you one more picture that I just got when I was doing this praying over this I just got this picture of uh people hunched over you know like I have horrible (laughs) uh what's it called form posture thank you um Horrible, right? I got these people just, right. And so everyone's around, my wife will come over and just go like, oh, you know? And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, that is so much better. Oh, I can breathe better, <laughs> you know? And I just got this picture of people crouched over because they're ashamed of the church. They're ashamed of God choosing the nobodies to extend salvation to the earth. And I just want to come over to you. I just want to say, straighten up, bro. Like, stand up straight, Stop whining about the church and be the church. Stop sitting on the sidelines whining about something and be what you feel God's called you to be in the church. Stand up straight. Start following Jesus like you mean it. You see a gap, fill it. You see a problem, fix it. All right? <laughs> wow. All right, well, let's uh, got a little aggressive there. All right. Um, let's come to the communion table. You know, this is the part of our service where we come. So on the onset of this conversation, I wanted to cloud the issue. (laughs) Normally, I want to remove the cloud so I can be like, run and take the hill, you know. For this one, I'm trying to cloud it up because the Bible clouds it up. And you need to pause before you run in the church and start flipping over tables, Christian. I, I love the ministry of flipping over tables. I just think it's extremely dangerous. And a lot of Christians are a little too eager to flip over tables before checking out what's on their own table. I think the question we'll be exploring is one of more, uh, more of a personal nature, which is have you settled for Christianity yourself? And does Jesus have any real power or influence in or over your life? Let me pray. Jesus, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that we would, people in this room, would for the first time experience your influence over their hearts and lives. God, I pray that for the first time, your power would be more than just a theological ideal, and it would become uh, the air we breathe, God. Your strength, your love, your forgiveness would become more than ideas. Would you come, Holy Spirit? You know, the role of the Holy Spirit is to make real what Jesus did. Holy Spirit, come. Make real to us what you've done on the cross. God, we welcome your power. We welcome your presence in our hearts and lives. Empower us now, God, to leave this place as representatives of Jesus. God, make us your hands and feet. We are ill-equipped for the job, but Lord, what the scripture actually says is you've given us everything we need for godliness. So God, give us faith. In Jesus, name me. pray these things. Amen. Here's the deal, guys. I know we've talked about some sensitive things today. If you've been burned by the church, I want you to come up here and get prayer. we got people that love you and want to pray for you. If, you've, if you just find in your heart some cynicism about it and just unable to participate with your whole heart, come up here, man. Let's just ask God to just offload that so that you can participate. All right, have a great week. We'll see you next time.